questions and answers. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. We've been going through a series entitled Trips to Heaven and Back, Are They for Real? As Pat has shared about others' accounts, we've seen a variety of different responses to what heaven may look like. Today, let's look at a trip to hell and back. If you're unable to hear any of this broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Here's Pat with today's message. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and provide biblical answers to the challenges of today. There have been many best-selling books, people who have died and gone to heaven or to hell, and we've been doing our series entitled Trips to Heaven and Hell and Back. What are we to make of these alleged accounts? Are they accurate according to the scriptures? How seriously should we take them or should we approach them with tremendous caution? And remember, my exhortation here is that we approach them with tremendous caution and to see if they match up with the scriptures. Many of their accounts of heaven and hell differ from the biblical accounts of heaven and hell and of Jesus Christ. Now, remember, as I talked about, most of these events that occur of trips to heaven and hell and back are visions people have, or what we call near-death experiences. So to do a quick review, biological death, remember, is when the soul permanently separates from the body. Okay, so biological death is irreversible. You are not coming back. Near-death experiences are also called medical or clinical death. That's when there's no sign of physical life, no heartbeat, no pulse or brain activity. We can't measure where the soul is in relation to the body, but physically there appears to be no signs of life. But near-death experiences are temporary. They're not biological death. And so most people who have these experiences of going to heaven or to hell occur in this arena of near-death experiences. For if there was biological death, uh, they would not return. It's a permanent state. There's really only a few people in the Bible who died a biological death and were resurrected and returned from the grave. Of course, the most famous, of course, being our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what he teaches in his word regarding heaven and hell is the most authoritative, what he has inspired in the prophets and the apostles. And we talked that near-death experiences don't necessarily prove there's a heaven or a hell, but they definitely show that there is something immaterial in us that consciously survives the death of the body. And of all the worldviews out there, it's the Christian worldview that best accommodates these near-death experiences where people can accurately describe what was going on in the hospital room or in the lobby or in places even miles away while they were outside their body, while they were clinically dead. And so, as I stated, the medical community is swinging our way and realizing that there's something immaterial in this body that drives this machine. And that would match up well with the biblical anthropology that teaches we are not just chemistry encased in flesh. 
there's something immaterial in us. The body, the Bible calls it the spirit and the soul, and which separate when the body dies and exists eternally, fully conscious as an individual. And the Bible teaches that when we die physically, that the immaterial essence, our personality, our emotions, our mind, all that immaterial components make up what the Bible calls the soul, that the soul goes immediately to be with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, or Luke 16, those who have rejected Christ, they will spend eternity away from Christ, quarantined in a place called hell. So near-death experiences don't necessarily prove there's a heaven or a hell, but they definitely demonstrate there's something immaterial in us, and that's consistent with the biblical worldview. We talked about those who have gone to heaven and have come back. I made a biblical evaluation of three of, I think, are the most popular books about trips to heaven and back and gave a biblical interpretation of that. Today, we're going to talk about those who supposedly went to hell and have come back. Now, remember the principle we're going by here. I said the Bible alone is the authority on heaven and hell. What it describes on heaven and hell is the authority. Most of these are visions or near-death experiences. And no matter how compelling the vision may be and how sincere the person may be, their experience is under the authority and must be critiqued by God's eternal truth in the Bible. And as we evaluated some of the popular works on heaven and back, I exhorted you to approach with caution because the description of heaven and Jesus in heaven described by these people who had these trips to heaven and back seem to not match up with what the Bible teaches. Well, what about those who have been to hell and have returned? How do their experiences match up? We're going to take a look at some of the more popular books or messages that have been out there. Now, one of the most popular that's been around for years is called A Divine Revelation of Hell by Mary Baxter. Now, Mary Baxter claims that she made a round trip to hell and heaven for 30 nights in 1976 being guided by the Lord Jesus Christ or an angel. And she spends hours talking about both places. Now, when it comes to hell, she says hell is in the shape of a human body and in each section containing various different kinds of torture chambers. And there she says she saw the souls of the unsaved being tortured there by demons. And the book is filled with repeated accounts of how beings were tortured by Satan and the demons. And in the heart of hell, there was Satan commanding and ruling there in hell. And then we have another popular book here called 23 Minutes in Hell by Bill Weiss. Weiss says that he did not go to hell, but I believe early in the morning, I, I believe around 3 a.m., he had a vision of hell given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had this vision lasted for 23 minutes where he describes hell. And Weiss says hell was a burning inferno a pit one mile across in the center of the earth. And 
In hell, he was confronted by two towering beasts, 10 to 13 feet tall, that resembled reptiles that tortured him while he was there. And Weiss is a believer in Christ, but he says that while he was in hell, I didn't even possess the thought of calling on God for help because I was there as one who didn't know God. The Lord didn't even come to mind. Jesus removed the knowledge that I was a Christian. Now that disturbs me. It seems strange for a Christian and for Jesus you know, to do that to a Christian. Throughout the Bible, God constantly assures us and gives us the assurance that we are indeed believers in Christ and he wants us to know with certainty that we are indeed a child of Christ. In Hebrews 6, 11, he says, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. Jesus says in John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. So it seems that Christ and the apostles who constantly taught on the assurance of salvation suddenly erased that memory from a believer's mind. Paul says here in Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, without trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He goes on to say, No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future or any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yet here he separates himself from this believer in Christ and removes any knowledge that he's a Christian there and allows him to experience hell. I find that a bit disturbing here. And then in evaluating most of these accounts of people who have died and gone to hell and have come back, all of them say, and I haven't read everything that's out there, all right, but all the ones that I have read, so the vast majority say that hell is filled with demons and Satan there and that they are there torturing people in hell, that in hell Satan is in command, commanding his troops and his minions there in the torture of those in hell. Now, I have a problem with that, those who say that Satan and the demons are in hell. First of all, Satan has never been in hell. He's not going to be in hell until the end of the age, Revelation chapter 20. Well, where is Satan now? Well, he hasn't been in hell. He is loosed upon the earth. In Job chapter 1, verse 7, Satan appears with the angels of God. And God asked Satan, where have you been? And he says, roaming to and fro upon the earth. At the temptation in Matthew chapter 4, Satan is there with Jesus tempting Christ. And in the final temptation, it says that the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. So Satan here has temporary rule that he has hijacked over the earth. He has that temporary rule and he was able to offer it 
to Christ. So Satan is not in hell. He's never been in hell. He won't be there until the end of the age. At the end of the church age is when Satan is seized and he's thrown into the bottomless pit. Revelation chapter 20 verse 1 says this, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hands the key to the bottomless pit or the abyss. That's one of the chambers in hell and the great chain. And he sees the dragon, that's Satan, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while. So Satan is loosed upon the earth. He is not going to be in hell until the end of the age. And for those of us who interpret Revelation literally, he's not going to be in hell until the end of the tribulation. And he is locked in the bottomless pit, one of the chambers of hell in the abyss for a thousand years. And we go into the thousand year rule of Christ or the millennial kingdom. So until then, Satan is not ruling in hell. He is loosed upon the earth. And then many of these accounts say that there are demons in hell who spend their time torturing the souls of the unsaved. Well, once again, there are no demons in hell. Well, in Hades, where the human souls are, there are no demons there. They are loosed upon the earth. Now, there are some demons who are locked up in a chamber in hell called Tartarus. Tartarus is the angelic prison. The human souls are in Hades. The angelic prison is Tartarus, where some of the demons are locked up. 2 Peter 2 verse 4 says this, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell. Now the Greek word there is Tartarus, not Hades. Hades is where the human souls are. Tartarus is an angelic prison. Cast them into Tartarus, hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the day of judgment. All right, so some demons are in Tartarus, the angelic prison, okay, but not in Hades. Hades, the Greek word there, that's where the human souls are. So let me expand on that a little bit so you're not confused. In hell, there are five chambers, all right? The first one is called Abraham's bosom. All right, that's paradise. That's where Old Testament saints go before the resurrection. All right, Luke chapter 16. That's paradise for those pre-Christ on the cross. All right, the Old Testament saints and those who died before the cross. Today, Abraham's bosom is empty. Okay, there's no one there. Christ has brought them to heaven. All right, now there's another chamber called Tartarus. That's the angelic prison, 2 Peter 2 verse 4, where some angels are kept in chains. Then there is Hades. This is where human souls of the unsaved are awaiting their day of final judgment. Then there is the abyss, the bottomless pit. Some demons are there in the abyss and they will be released during the time of the tribulation. And in the bottomless pit, that is where Satan is thrown at the end of the tribulation, and he is locked up in there for a thousand years. And then we have Revelation chapter 20, Gehenna, the lake of fire. That is the final resting place of all the unsaved. In Revelation 20, at the end of the age, at the end of the millennial kingdom now, the souls 
of the unsaved, their bodies are resurrected, reunite their soul, and they stand before the great white throne judgment, and they are thrown into the lake of fire. So they go, and then it says death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. All right? So the unsaved, it goes from bad to worse. They go from Hades into Gehenna, the lake of fire, and then Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. He's actually the first one in the lake of fire or Gehenna. So those are the five chambers that are in hell. So when it comes to Hades, where the human souls are, Satan and the demons are not there. Satan's never been in hell. And the demons are locked in two places, Tartarus or the abyss. But they're not in Hades, where the human souls are torturing human souls there. And God is in control of hell. It's not a place where Satan rules with his minions. And in hell, Satan won't be king, ruling with his followers doing as he wills, torturing people in hell. In hell, Satan will be tormented worse than anyone else in all of creation. Satan will not be ruling as king. He will be tormented worse than everyone else. And the demons will be tormented in hell as well because that's the place that they receive their judgment. They are deathly afraid of hell. They do not want to go there. In Matthew chapter 8, when Jesus comes to the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men came from the tombs and met him. And the demons spoke to Jesus, saying in verse 29, What do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted, Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? And some distance from them where a large herd of pigs was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And Jesus said to them, Go. So these demons didn't want to be in hell. If hell is a place where they're ruling and they're having fun torturing people, well, they wouldn't mind going there, but they don't want to be there. They beg the Son of Man, don't torture us before it's time. Hell is a place that the demons don't want to be. And then many of these people who've been to hell and back says that there were demons torturing these human spirits in hell. Well, hell is not a place where people are tortured. It's a place of torment. What's the difference? Well, torture is inflicted from the outside. Torment comes from within. Having rejected Christ, rejected the love and the knowledge of Christ and all that life was ever meant to be has now been lost and they're in a place of torment. All right, They're not being tortured. We see that in Luke chapter 16 where the rich man begs Father Abraham to send Lazarus back to warn his brothers. And he says here, the rich man says here, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Not torture, torment. So the human souls are there in Hades, and they're not being tortured by the demons. There are no demons in Hades where the human souls are. They're loosed upon the earth with Satan. Satan's never been in hell. And if there are demons who are in prison, they're in the angelic prison, Tartarus, or in the abyss, the bottomless pit. And then Mary Baxter claims that she saw souls chained to one another being dragged under the surface of the lake of fire. Well, no one's in the lake of fire, Gehenna. No one's in there yet. No one will be there until the very end of the age after the millennial rule of Christ in Revelation chapter 20. So there's no one in hell yet. And the first one to be in the lake of fire in Gehenna the first one to be there is indeed Satan. And so right now there's no one in the lake of fire. They are in Hades. 
and at the end of the age, they receive their resurrected bodies. They stand before the great white throne judgment, and then they're thrown into the lake of fire, Gehenna. And then it says death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire as well, the final resting place of the unsaved. Now, many of these books or accounts of people who went to hell say that they were sent there by Jesus and then sent back to warn us of the horrors of hell. But Mary Baxter tells the story of a man in hell pleading with Jesus to return to warn his brothers. And Mary Baxter said, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, they have preachers, teachers, elders, all ministering the gospel. They will tell them. They also have the advantage of modern communication systems and many other ways to learn of me. I sent workers to them that they might believe and be saved. If they will not believe when they hear the gospel, neither will they be persuaded though one rises from the dead. Now, she's simply repeating the story of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke chapter 16, where the rich man begged Father Abraham to send someone back, send Lazarus back to warn his five brothers, lest they go to this place of torment. And Jesus said that he would not allow Lazarus or someone to return from the dead because they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, Christ was emphasizing the sufficiency of the word. So Christ did not allow Lazarus to go back and warn his brothers. Christ did not allow this man, according to Mary Baxter, who was begging to go back from the dead. Yet, on the first page of her book, she writes a letter from Jesus. And Jesus wrote this letter to her saying, To Catherine from Jesus, For this purpose you were born, to write and tell what I have shown and told you. For these things are faithful and true. Your call is to let the world know there is a hell, and that I, Jesus, was sent by God, to save them from this torment. So if Jesus did not let the rich man or the previous man she talked about in hell go back and witness to their living family members, how come with Mary Baxter, he says that I raised you up to send you to hell so you could go back and tell everyone what it's like down there? That seems to be contradictory there to what the scriptures teach and what even Mary Baxter said in her book. So for these reasons, I would be very cautious about those who have said they have gone to hell and back. I've not read everything that's out there, but many of these experiences that I've read seem to paint a different picture of hell than what is taught there in the Bible. So my exhortation here is this. Once again, the Bible is the authority when it comes to understanding heaven and hell. All alleged experiences or visions must be measured by the truth that's taught in God's Word. And if it's not consistent with God's Word, we should be very cautious at embracing these experiences, no matter how compelling they may be or how sincere the person may be. We rest first and foremost on the authority and the teaching of God's Word. So, as all the apostles exhorted us to test all things by the Word of God, 1 John 4 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we are to test the spirits, test the teachings that are out there with the Word of God. That is our standard of truth. No matter how compelling an experience may be or how sincere a person may, must be, we test them with the Word of God. And that is the responsibility that's given to every believer in Christ. So 
I encourage you to read these accounts, and as you do, not only these accounts, but others that you may come across, to evaluate and test them carefully with the Word of God. I hope you found this series helpful as we evaluated many of these experiences and visions regarding trips to heaven, hell, and back. So I hope you will do your own study and come to your own conclusions as you test it with the Word of God. And thanks for being with us here on Evidence and Answers. Once again, our time has come to a close. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll see we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, as well as Pat's books. So be sure to share our website with your family, friends, and church. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.